Hi, welcome everyone who's listening online today. My name is Ed Travers. I'm the teaching pastor here at our campus in Westerville. If today is the first time you're listening in, I'm gonna ask you to do something. Uh, pause this, go to lpguest.com. That is our online connect card. You can find out all the information about our church. Uh, you can follow along in the sermon notes. Uh, and there's a little button there that says guest information. If you hit that button, uh, that'll take you to another page. Fill out a little bit of information. Let us know how you heard about LifePoint. That's what's really interesting to us. If you scroll down, there are five ministries that we support from all of our campuses. If one of those seems interesting to you, hit the button on that and we'll do a $5 donation to that ministry in your honor, just to say thanks for checking in with us today. That said, uh, I was thinking about uh, how in life, there are times when I'm sure everyone has done this, where we use one thing uh, to accomplish something else that wasn't meant for that. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, when I was 21, uh, my brother and I became roommates. Uh, obviously, we, we lived together growing up, but you know, as adults, we decided to become roommates and share an apartment. So he had his room, I had my room, and um, we had inherited some furniture and a television from people uh, you know, outside, I think maybe you know, a friend of ours and maybe our parents or whatever. We had, so we had kind of a uh, you know, hodgepodge grouping of furniture that we had collected. Well, our TV was this old TV from the 80s. You know, and you have to understand, you have to be of a certain generation to understand television sets that way back in the day in the 80s, there were only like three or four channels. Unless you had cable, there were three or four channels. You had four, six, 10, and 34. That was it. So unless you had cable, the way that you changed the channel is you had to get up, walk over the TV, and turn the knob on the TV set. Well, somehow this TV that we had inherited didn't have the knobs on it. It just had a piece of metal sticking out from the TV. So the only way to change the channel, you couldn't actually physically turn it with your hands. You had to get pliers and turn it. Well, my brother got this brilliant idea. He said, instead of doing that, he took a fork and he bent the fork over and he jammed the fork into the metal. So it was just this little half fork jammed into the metal, but it made it super easy. All you had to do was just basically turn it and made a knob. It worked perfectly. But then every time someone would come over, they would look at our TV set and go, wow, this is really, you know, kind of a messed up TV set, you know, and they, they would make fun of us or whatever for having a bad TV. But nevertheless, we're in this series, we're calling Asking for a Friend. And in this series, what we're saying is that, uh, you know, there are questions that we all want to ask. We don't necessarily feel comfortable asking them. So we want to ask for a friend. There are times when we want to ask these questions, and here's what we're saying in the series, that God gives the best answers to life's toughest questions. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7, where in the Corinthian church, they were bringing up a lot of questions themselves that Paul was trying to answer for them. But those questions are relevant to us today, and that's what we're going to get into. We had talked uh, two weeks ago about conflict in the church. We talked about sexuality last week, and this week we're going to talk about sex inside marriage and the design for sex. And this is what I was thinking about as I was thinking about that first story, that there are times in life, again, where we try to uh, fix something with something that wasn't meant for. In fact, um, that's how sex is in a lot of ways. That we all have this desire in our life and sometimes we use it for something it's not meant for. That's kind of what we're looking at. And, and here's what I would say. We live in a culture that's completely obsessed with sex. You can't watch TV. You can't scroll online. You can't uh, listen to something that's not overly sexualized. I mean, it's just everywhere uh, and it's normalized and to the point where our culture is saying, hey, you know, if it, it, you know, whatever you feel, as long as you're not hurting someone else, just do it. Like if you aren't 
you know, connected in some way sexually, then, then you're not doing it right. Like that's, that's just how our culture is. Why would you get married without trying it out? Like there's all this thoughts in our culture, obsession with sex. And yet uh, the question is, is it, does it cause problems? Does it create issues? And, and here's what I would say, if you're listening in, you've got a child nearby that we're gonna talk about some explicit things, uh, or, you know, not, not more than PG-13, uh, but we're going to talk about things that are themes that you might not want to have a conversation with your kid about right yet. Uh, so just know that going into this conversation. But here's the thing. Isn't it true that most people feel like some of the biggest mistakes they've ever made in their life revolve around sex? As a pastor, I've met with so many people who have things that they look back on, wish they could erase, mistakes that have been made, uh, direction in life that have been taken uh, around sex that they wish they could have back. It's not just uh, a desire, but it's a desire that's very powerful and can cause a lot of destruction if not done the right way. Can you make it work? Yes. Does it cause problems if it's outside of what it's intended for? Absolutely. So the question then is, I think, for anyone who's listening in is, spiritually speaking, if God designed us, I mean, if God designed, you know, uh, the cosmos, but he also designed DNA, if he knows you intimately, if he knows what's happening in us and he made us and he made sex and he did, if he knows, then he knows how it's supposed to work. So no matter where you're at in your journey uh, with God, you have to ask, God, all right, what was your intention with this? How's it supposed to work from the designer standpoint? That's what we're gonna look at today. If you have a Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And the first thing I want to share with you is this, is that uh, this is an incredible gift, but it has intentional boundaries. Incredible gift, obviously, intentional boundaries. First Corinthians chapter seven, let me explain the basic context. Paul went to Corinth. Paul the apostle goes there, he plants a church. You can read about that in Acts 18. And that church, he stayed with them for 18 months and they build up new leaders. And then he goes on to the next church. You know, he's starting a new church somewhere else, but he wrote a letter back to the church at Corinth. At the time that this is written, the church is very young. So think a church of less than five years old. And it's hard to imagine that because even if, uh, like, let's say LifePoint Westerville is five years old now, but we've had years of people who've been following Jesus. We have the word of God in our hands. Uh, we have a lot more maturity in our midst, even in this campus um, than they would have had in Corinth. More so, that culture was extremely uh, overly sexualized in a way that in the city of Corinth, they had a temple for Aphrodite, uh, the goddess of sex. And, and they had a thousand uh, workers that would be there at the temple that you could go and have sex with. I mean, this was the culture and it was completely normalized. That was part of Corinth. Everything that happened in Corinth was kind of like the Vegas of the day, times 10. So that's the culture celebrating sex in every possible way. And here's what he says, Paul writes to them in chapter seven, verse one. Now concerning matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to, of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. 
All right, so let me explain what's happening here. Up until chapter six, the end of chapter six, Paul is really trying to encourage them, correct them, challenge them in many ways in the letter. But now he's gonna turn to answering some questions that they had. So there was a letter that the people of Corinth wrote to Paul. And in this first part, he says, of matters of which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. He's quoting them in this letter where they're saying, hey, we're, this is, maybe it's good that we don't have sex with a woman, uh, even if it's your own wife. Understand the culture. There were two philosophies. It was a Greek city that was taken over by the Romans. And the Greek culture, the philosophy was this, that the soul was good, but the body was bad. And so it didn't matter what happened in the body because that wasn't gonna inherit eternity anyway. Only your soul would be eternal and be with God. And only God was concerned with eternal things, not things that would be gone like the body. So the one idea in Greek culture was, it doesn't matter what you do. Do whatever you feel, whatever your appetite is, fulfill the appetite. But there was another part, an opposing part of Greek culture that believed they were, they were connected, the soul and body. And so if the soul is evil, then you need to deny, I'm sorry, if the body is evil, then deny the body. So any of the desires, you, de you deny anything that's evil in order so it wouldn't corrupt the soul. So these two opposing philosophies, these people are grown up in Greek culture, in what's happening in Corinth, and it influenced their thinking. And now that they found Christ, now that they've seen something different and they realize they've been completely changed by the gospel, they're looking at sex saying, maybe we should never have sex again. Maybe we should never have sex even with our spouses. That's what they're saying. And Paul's saying, no, that's not the case at all. In fact, because of the temptation for sexual immorality, every man should get married and every woman should get married that they should have a husband or a wife. Now, he's not saying that's the only reason for marriage, but he's saying that's how God designed sex, that it's supposed to be between a husband and a wife. Anything beyond that, anything outside of the boundaries that were given between a husband and a wife are out of the boundaries for sex. That's what he's saying. And because of that, then you guys should experience that gift within marriage. Now, this makes complete sense based on what God has said uh, from the Bible and what Paul has been writing to the Corinthians. I think what's true of us is that nothing, we can sense that nothing is, seems to be as powerful as the drive for sex, for physical intimacy. And on top of the fact that in marriage, in the right boundaries, it's extremely powerful and really unites and, and bonds two people, not only just for pleasure, but just it does something emotionally that connects two people. But on top of that, it can also be one of the most destructive things in someone's life, if not done in the right boundaries. I was having a life group with some married couples several years ago, and there were several married couples. And there was one particular couple there that I'll tell you about, just an awesome young couple. They were in their early 30s. They had four kids, and they loved Jesus. Um, and I remember we were talking, uh, you know, it's married couples. We were talking about how powerful sex is in relationship. And the question came up, uh, you know, why is it so powerful? Why is it so impactful in marriage? And the young woman from this marriage said, doesn't everything in our relationship get better when we're having regular intimacy? And everyone, I think, and the married couples were like, yeah, it does seem to work that way, that when you're connected intimately, it does seem to permeate your relationship. There seems to be more love and grace. There seems to be more forgiveness. And it just seems to, when you're having a healthy, intimate life, it impacts the rest of the relationship. And I think everyone there was in agreement of the power and the bond of sex inside marriage. But let me, let me fast forward. Uh, that couple, 
who I admired so much. They, they loved the Lord, uh, and they, they uh, had worked through a lot of stuff to, to kind of, even their relationship and, and financial stuff, and they positioned themselves to become missionaries, and they did. They became missionaries serving at an orphanage in another country, uh, and so they, they left their life here. They took their four children down to this orphanage, and they served, and they were kind of like the house parents of this orphanage, and they had a team, but they were kind of like running and leading and, and doing a lot of the, the day-to-day activities, and the guy, the husband, just an amazing guy, hard worker guy, loved the Lord, and he just spent so much time, not only with the kids, but, but kind of making the whole compound run, making sure anything was fixed and running and, and building new buildings. I mean, he was just the foreman and the contractor. I mean, he did it all. Great dude. Well, one of the ways that he would kind of relieve steam and connect with God is he would get out in nature, and he would oftentimes go on runs or hikes or walkabouts. He would go into the mountains for like a week, a week and a half, and uh, he's on one of his walkabouts, and uh, she is feeling very neglected. Uh, just feeling alone. And here she is down at this place and she's got all this additional pressure she's never had in her life. All these kids that are counting on her, not just her own four kids, but here she is. She's a mom in her early 30s and uh, she's working hard and feeling like her, her whole community's gone. Remember, she moved down there and she doesn't have her community anymore, her church. And on top of that, her husband is working all the time and he's on his time off. He's, he's out into the woods hunting or, or hiking or, or whatnot. And she just feels so neglected and they're not connecting and she ended up going into town and developing a relationship with someone outside of her husband Uh, got pregnant not knowing which one of the guys in her life is the father I mean everybody was shocked and you know they immediately moved out of the that city uh, moved back to the States and uh, got counseling and got help and had to go through uh, three or four years of tumultuous uh, work to try to repair what had happened. And you have to say, well, well, how did that happen? How would anyone who loves Jesus the way she does, how would anyone who you know, is going there to serve the Lord, how could that possibly happen? But these desires that are in us are so powerful the power for connection, and, and they mask so much in our lives. And, and here, here she is, outside of the boundaries, the destruction that it can cause, the destruction if it's taken outside. Incredible gift, something that can bond you in a way that, that nothing else can. It's just an amazing gift. And yet, outside of the boundaries can be one of the most destructive things, it can rip families apart, rip ministries apart. So here's the thing, though. Why is it so powerful? What is it about? It's not just like any other activity. And here's the thing. It's because the two shall become one. The way God designed is that two shall become one. Here's what Paul writes in in verse four. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. This would have gone in the face of that culture because in a lot of ways, women were seen as property. So, um, you know, a man might go to a father and offer some kind of, you know, piece of land or some animals and, and buy basically the daughter, a dowry, if you will. To, to, so this woman would become part of his property, his wife. And here Paul's saying, no, that's not the case at all. That this wife doesn't have authority over her body. That might have been normal to their thinking. But he says, but in the same way, the man doesn't have authority over his own body. Why? If you go all the way back to Genesis, this is how God designed sex. It says this, Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. That's where we get that term in the, in the vows where it's to have and to hold. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast. That means to have intimacy, 
physical intimacy with his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You see, joining like that in physical intimacy makes them one. In God's viewpoint, he created sex, not only just for pleasure and for procreation, but for a picture of something even bigger. That when you join together in that way with physical intimacy, you become one, so you can no longer separate one from the other. So when Paul's writing that no one has authority over their own body, their spouse does as much as they do. They're one. You can't separate a husband and wife who've been together. They are one. Paul explains this even further in uh, chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. Verse 16, he's talking to them about sexual immorality. In that culture, it was normal. Like you might be married to somebody, but your sexual gratification came up at the temple, the temple of Aphrodite. That's where you went up with, hung out with a prostitute. And that's where you fulfilled all of your physical needs. But then you had your wife at home. And here's what he's saying, verse 16 of chapter six. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. So he's repeating Genesis, God's plan for sex. And then he says in verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. He's saying spiritual intimacy to be connected to Jesus. When you understand that God made us for a relationship, but you, you get that, but we feel this brokenness. That's what sin does. Sin breaks the relationship with God. We can't be one with God because of sin. And somehow we feel that. And when we recognize God is pursuing us to be in this relationship and he sends his son to die on the cross for us and pays the penalty for sin. So that if we come to him in faith, receive the gift of grace and salvation through Jesus Christ, when we receive that gift, here's what happens spiritually. It's supernatural. Then we surrender to him and call on him to be Lord of our life. He puts his Holy Spirit in us. No longer is the Holy Spirit on the outside trying to influence us. He indwells us with his Holy Spirit. We become one spiritually. So the intimacy of being joined together becomes one. Do you see how physical intimacy is a picture? It's a foreshadowing of spiritual intimacy to be joined to the Lord, to become one with him in spirit. You see physical intimacy, which is great. And physical intimacy, which bonds you together is still a picture of something even bigger. You see, we were made for spiritual intimacy. The power that we feel in our life, the draw towards physical intimacy is so strong. And if it's misused, we will use that in a way that will leave negative impacts on our life. And here's what happens. I think we try to use physical intimacy to fill the void of spiritual intimacy in our life. You see, physical intimacy is so immediate and so uh, readily available to us that we would rather or settle for that to cover up the spiritual void in our life. And we were made to fill the spiritual void with God himself. We are spiritual beings in and of ourselves. And we're not just bodies. We are spirits on the inside of our body. And that spirit is made whole in Christ. And we're made for that connection. And here's what that spiritual intimacy means. Think about the physical intimacy and how that is a picture of vulnerability. To be fully known by somebody, to be physically vulnerable with them, to have a connection with them, which is powerful and elated. I mean, it is, that's physical intimacy. In the same way, you were made to be completely vulnerable with God, completely known by him, that he knows your flaws. You're completely exposed before God. He knows you. And yet in spite of your flaws, you're unbelievably loved. That's experience of the gospel itself. The Holy Spirit in you 
reminds you that you are loved by God. That's what we were made for. And as we cultivate that relationship with God, as we start to feel and sense and cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our life, we feel strong, uh, uh, just connection with God. There is nothing more fulfilling than a connection with God himself. And when that is in place, physical intimacy takes its place and it has boundaries inside marriage, but we have lots of life. There's seasons of singleness in our life. Uh, for some, there's seasons of marriage. And you know, all of that though, we were built for spiritual intimacy. But what we do, how we misuse sex sometimes is that we elevate sex to the position of replacing God in our life. And that's where physical intimacy becomes idolatry. That is not how it was supposed to be used. Sex should never become an idol in our lives. That's using it for the wrong purpose. Can I just, can I just address single people listening in? I, I have met uh, so many people in the course of, of ministry and, and people in my life where I've been able to talk to them about how sex can uh, impact their life and their soul. Uh, in particular, I'm, I'm thinking of two different guys. One was a baseball player, a college athlete. And another guy was kind of like a, just a super good-looking, confident guy. Both guys kind of lived the, you know, the superstar life, if you will, that you know, they were you know, super well sought after by the ladies, and they took advantage of that. And had relationship after relationship after relationship of promiscuity. Later in life, this is what uh, conversations that we've had. One of them says to me, he goes, you think that that's what's going to fulfill your life. You're doing what you see on TV. You're doing what you see in the movies that you're gonna go from person to person to person and you know, almost like a collection you know, that each woman is a conquest to have. And, and you think that's what's gonna fulfill you, but it never works. It's like, it becomes meaningless. It, it takes something that was meant for something so much more and it just devalues the meaning of what it was meant for. And it becomes empty. That's how one guy described it. Another guy described it like this, that I spent so much time taking and taking and taking. Each, each girl was someone that I was gonna take this from them and take this from them and take this from them. And now here I find myself in a marriage and I don't even know how to give. Because I've spent most of uh, you know, uh, my children's life, my daughter's lives, trying to prepare them for people like me, to protect them from people like me. Both men feel broken in that area. Do you see how that this desire in our lives for intimacy, we can fill it with sex outside of the boundaries and we can take it to levels it's never supposed to be and it always has, it always has a, a problem on the other side of it. I, I have many females that, that I've come across in ministry and in particular, I'm thinking of one who, uh, this, this girl, she had uh, you know, a, a kind of a broken home and the mom kind of abandoned the home and this, this girl had a lot of insecurity and struggle as a child but when she got into puberty and started to blossom, she realized that she uh, was well sought after from the guys. And she learned to use her sexuality to get what she wanted. It gave her a feeling of control where she never had control growing up. Everything was always chaotic around her. She learned to use sexuality to get what she wanted. The only problem with that was <laughs> you had to keep up the look. And it was a full-time job just to make yourself look the way you wanted to look in order to get what you want. So she was using sex outside of the boundaries in which it was intended. You see, when you use it for the wrong thing, you devoid the meaning of what it was meant for and the bond of which it brings you together. And ultimately it separates you from God. It's like you're, you're placing his creation above the creator himself. 
Here's the thing, and, and within marriage, even though it's this beautiful gift, it's not a gift that's a tool to be used as leverage. This is what Paul is saying here. He goes on in verse, verse five, he says, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, as you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So he's saying, don't, don't deprive each other unless you've decided to use that time for prayer and devotion to God. Let spiritual intimacy be the top part of your life, that your connection to God together, that you seek God together as a couple, that 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 becomes the top of your life, that you allow the spiritual intimacy to be central to your life. And if you need to to take time off from being physically intimate in order to allow this to grow, that's fine. That's what he's saying, fine. But not for long periods of time. Don't deprive one another. That's what he's saying. I, I think the beauty of this is he's saying, look, sex can be this incredible bond and God gave it to us as a gift. Like how much must God care about us to allow us to have something to have such just incredible bond and uh, you know, physical pleasure? Think about that. Like why didn't he make us you know, like, like the insects? right? Uh, you know, you have a, a praying mantis after they are procreate, you know, she just rips his head off and kills him and eats him, right? Like he could have done that. But he gave us something as a gift because he's, he's interested in us. He cares about us. He wants for us. He wants to give good gifts to us. But there are boundaries in that, of course. And, and neither spouse should be manipulating each other. In fact, what it says there that we should give each other, you know, uh, look out for each other's needs, that her body isn't just hers and his body isn't just his, that they serve one another. That means there should never be a point in time where abuse or manipulation or taking would take place in a physical relationship in marriage. We, we all agree, scripture is saying that that is absolutely outside the lines. Anything that would make my spouse feel uncomfortable would be outside the lines. Why? Because she has needs. I would never put her in a position, you know? I would never put a spouse in a position to, to feel uncomfortable. That's, that's not meeting their need, that's taking from them. And here's how it can be used, that sometimes a spouse will take, use sex to take something for their own sexual gratification. You know, and that, that happens. It, you know, well, uh, I'm bored, I want something more interesting, I want this, or, you know, and, and they use their spouse for sex, for sexual gratification. That is, not, that is not within the bounds of what God wants for us. It's not a tool to be leveraged. And have you ever heard this term? Uh, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? Have you ever heard these terms? Like, oh, he's gonna get lucky tonight. Uh, well, you know, he's gonna be sleeping on the couch for a while. All those terms are really negotiation terms. You know what a negotiated marriage is? That's one in which we use each other to get what we want. And so those terms are basically terms in which, uh, you know, the, the wife has decided, like, I know how I can, uh, you know, uh, if you perform a certain way, then you'll be rewarded. If you don't perform a certain way, then you'll be withheld from. Those are negotiation terms. And, you know, guys do the same thing. You know, I always thought it was going to be one-sided. And now that I've met so many people in ministry, I've learned that it's just not one-sided. People use sex to manipulate each other. I know people who, who say, well, you know, we don't get along at all, but we have, you know, great physical intimacy. And so that's where they, they connect, but they don't connect anywhere else. I mean, it's part of marriage. It's part of oneness that we're together. It's not meant to be leveraged against each other. Becoming one doesn't mean two people negotiating. So how does God want us want this to work in our life? Here's what I would say. 
Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, he talked about marriage. He talked about roles in marriage. And obviously in this case, he's talking about how sex is supposed to work, that it's, it's given where two people come together as one, they love each other, and that physical intimacy bonds them together, obviously not just for procreation, but even for pleasure and connection. Uh, we, we understand that's, that's what God meant for marriage. But Paul wrote about the importance of marriage, that inside marriage between believers, it's a picture of Christ and the church. There's always a foreshadowing, right? Like I talked about earlier, that, that physical intimacy really is a foreshadowing to a greater spiritual intimacy, and marriage in and of itself is a picture of Christ in the church. That as we live out our lives and leading and, and submitting to one another and taking care of each other and meet each other's needs, it's a picture of how Christ laid down his life for the church. People should be able to look at our life. People should be able to look at our marriage and recognize something about God. That's how it's supposed to work. You see, your marriage is part of the mission of God. And for some people, and we're gonna talk about this next week, for some people, their gift is gonna be singleness. That's not a curse, that's a gift. But most people are gonna be married in life. And what God is saying is, I want this marriage to be a beacon for the beauty and the gospel, for the beauty of God, for his glory and for the gospel. That's what he's saying about our marriage. It's part of the mission. And so our intimacy is just a picture, a picture of our closeness. And I would say, I would say, if you're struggling with intimacy, if that's a struggle, then you need to have a conversation. You need to talk it out. There, you, know, you can go see a counselor. You can you know, talk to people uh, that are married, that are further along in, in that than you, and, and look for help. It's okay to get on the same page, to talk about it, but to not use each other, to not manipulate each other, to not give this a higher place in marriage than spiritual intimacy. That is the, the pinnacle of our lives. We're made for this connection with God that fulfills and never leaves any regrets. So wherever you're at, I would just challenge you that if you're struggling, go towards God with this first and, and ask for help. Um, I would also say that uh, understand that there's a purpose, that God is trying to do something in and through your life that's higher than just your own experience. If it's just about your experience, then you've placed too high of a position in life, physical intimacy. It's time to submit your life completely to God and allow him to use your life. And sometimes he uses it as a sanctification process to help grow you to be more like Christ. Wherever you're at, the call is gonna be the same, to submit to Christ, to allow him to work in and through your life. This is how it's supposed to work. I would say also that if you're listening in and you feel like, but I have a lot of shame and guilt around ways that I took it outside the boundaries, that I've, Maybe you would say that I, I wish I could erase some things. I wish I could take them back. And I feel a lot of, of guilt and shame and I feel like I've, I've messed it up. Can I, can I just tell you that Jesus paid for all that? He paid for all that. He washes that away by his cross. It was his blood that was shed so that you can come to him and that you can walk in right relationship with the father, be made completely whole. That that shame, you don't have to keep beating yourself up or feeling ashamed. When you come to Christ and you're forgiven completely, you're a new creation in Christ. You can come boldly before the throne of grace. Why? Because you are whole. You are new in Christ. Those things, you're never gonna be held against you in the kingdom of God. That's not even who you are. Your identity isn't the things that you've done. Your identity is who Christ is in you. Sometimes that shame and guilt kind of plays itself out in relationship. And you need to understand you are free of that when you come to Christ by the gospel. Wherever you're at, Understand the cross paid for it all. 
it's time for maybe for some of you to release that to God and allow him, allow his grace and mercy to be the marker of your life. And if you are listening, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, it's time for you to surrender, to receive his grace and mercy, to be washed clean, to be made completely new in Christ. Wherever you're at, I just encourage you to pray. Uh, Father, I pray that you would uh, help us to be healthy uh, in our marriages, that our physical intimacy would be healthy. Help us, anyone who's struggling, I pray for those marriages right now, that you help them to be one, uh, to help their physical intimacy to be a picture and a foreshadowing of so much more beautiful connection that we have with you. God, help us to not fill the spiritual intimacy void with physical intimacy and to place that above where it's supposed to be. Help us to long for you first and allow that to be uh, the centerpiece of our soul. God, I pray that we would use the gift for the way it's intended. Help us to be strong and one. Um, and God, use our marriages for, for something so much greater that people would recognize something about you by the way that we live out our marriages. For those who are struggling with shame and guilt, God, I pray that you would just give them your grace and mercy. Help them to see uh, themselves the way that you see them. That when they come to you in faith, they are completely uh, washed and their sin is taken as far as east as from west. You would never remember that. And if you're listening in and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, tell him right now. Say, Jesus, I'm calling on you right now to come into my life and forgive me. Say, Father, I believe in you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave. And today, Jesus, I'm calling on you. Would you, would you wash me of my sin? Would you forgive me? I'm so sorry. I've sinned against you and against your father. Please forgive me. I'm asking you, Jesus, to lead my life. Help me to follow. Just tell him that. You need to know it's that little step, that little step that makes you completely right with God. It's placing your faith in Jesus and what he has done because he has paid for all of your sin so you can be made right with the Father. God, I pray for any of those who are making the first time step with you that you would uh, put your Holy Spirit in them and help them to sense what it is you're trying to do in and through their life. Help them to get a sense of your love and your grace and your mercy. God, put people in their life to help them walk this out. I ask that in your son's name, amen, amen. Thank you so much for listening in. I just wanna say that uh, if you have any questions, you, uh, I may not be able to answer your questions, but I can try to connect you with people who can and maybe give you some resources. Uh, my name is Ed Travers. You can find me at edt at lifepointohio.com. Be happy to try to help you. Uh, I wanna say for all of our regular members and our tenders who might be listening online today, thank you for the way you give. It's your generosity that allows us to do this type of thing uh, and different ministries around Central Ohio and beyond. So thank you for the way you give. Uh, you can visit our website to continue to do that. Uh, thank you so much for listening in. Until next week, God bless.